It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. When you consider the types of aquariums that we work with, I would imagine that it's probably funny to outsiders or those new to our obsession to hear us going on and on about utilizing dried leaves, twigs, and seed pods in our aquariums with words such as methodology and technique and stuff like that. I can't help but think that the great Takashi Amano, who spent years studying many aspects of nature and her influence on the aquatic environments, would really love this stuff. I think that he'd love the unique aesthetics, sure, but I think he'd especially love how these ephemeral materials that we play with can influence the way our aquariums function. It's the essence of his embrace of the Japanese philosophy of wabi-sabi, the stuff that slowly decomposes and so forth underwater. I think he gently scolded the aquarium hobby and perhaps lament how it has embraced most of the more superficial aspects of nature, beautiful as they are, as opposed to the whole picture, stuff like we play with. I suppose with their occasional smirks and giggles from some corners of the hobby when they initially see our tanks with some thinking, really? They toss in a few leaves and they think that the resulting sloppiness is natural or somehow evolved aquascaping technique or something? Now, look, I've never presented this as a aquascaping technique. It just so happens that botanical style aquariums, and this word style is probably the misnomer here, look a certain way, and some people find that attractive, some don't. But it wasn't intended to be a aquascaping technique. It was intended to be a way to replicate some of the conditions found in natural aquatic habitats in our own aquariums. And I suppose that on the surface, this doesn't seem like much. Toss botanical materials in aquariums, see what happens. It's not like no one ever did this before. And to make it seem more complicated than it is to develop or quantify technique for it, which is a true you know, human act, I guess, is probably a bit humorous to some. On the other hand, it's not just to create a cool looking tank. We don't embrace the aesthetic of dark water, a bottom covered in decomposing leaves and the appearance of biofilms and algae on driftwood because it allows us to be more relaxed in the care of our tanks or because we think we're so much smarter than the underwater, diorama-loving, hype-mongering, competition aquascaping crowd. Well, maybe we do, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, we're doing this for a reason, to create more authentic-looking, natural-functioning aquatic displays for our fishes, to understand and acknowledge that our fishes and their very existence is influenced by the habitats in which they've evolved. Wild tropical aquatic habitats are influenced greatly by the surrounding geography and flora of their region which in turn have considerable influence upon the population of fishes which inhabit them and their life cycle. The simple fact of the matter is, when we add botanical materials to an aquarium and accept what occurs as a result, regardless of whether our intent is just to create a different aesthetic or perhaps something more, we are, to a very real extent, replicating many of the processes and influences that occur in wild aquatic habitats in nature. The presence of botanical materials such as leaves in these aquatic habitats is fundamental. In the tropical species of trees, leaf drop is important to the surrounding environment. The nutrients that are bound up in leaves uh, are typically concentrated, 
and a regular release of leaves by trees helps replenish the minerals and nutrients which are typically depleted from eons of leaching from the soil into the surrounding forests. And the rapid nutrient depletion, by the way, is why it's not healthy to burn tropical forests. The release of nutrients as a result of fire is so rapid that the habitat can't process it. And in essence, the nutrients are lost forever. Now, interestingly enough, most tropical forest trees are classified as evergreens and don't have a specific seasonal leaf drop like the deciduous trees that many of us are more familiar with do. Rather, they replace their leaves gradually throughout the year as the leaves age and subsequently fall off the trees. The implication here? There is more or less a continuous supply of leaves falling off into the jungles and waterways in these tropical habitats, which is why you'll see leaves at varying stages of decomposition in tropical streams. It's also why leaf litter uh, or leaf litter banks, that is, are actually almost permanent structures uh, when, within some of these bodies of water. They're seen for years and years. And for the fishes and other organisms which live in, around, and above the litter beds, there is a lot of potential food, which does vary somewhat between the wet and dry seasons and their accompanying water levels. The fishes tend to utilize the abundant mud, detritus, and epiphytic materials which accumulate in the leaf litter bed as food. We've talked about this many times before. During the dry seasons, when the water levels are lower, this organic layer compensates for the shortage in other food resources. During the regular or the wet season, the higher water periods, there's a much greater amount of allochthonous input. Remember that? Allochthonous input, food from the surrounding terrestrial environment, uh, in the form of insects, fruits, and other plant material. I suppose that in our aquariums, it's pretty much always the wet season, right? We tend to top off or replace decomposing leaves and botanicals materials. We feed our fishes regularly. Now, of course, this is where I start to get into what I will call speculative environmental biology. What if we stopped replacing leaves and even lowered water levels or decreased water exchanges in our tanks to correspond to, I don't know, for example, the Amazonian dry season, which is June to December. And if you consider that many fishes tend to spawn in the dry season, concentrating in the shallow waters, could this have implications for breeding? Could this be a rethinking or reimagining of how we spawn or rear our fishes? I believe so. I further proffer that we need to look a lot deeper into the idea of environmental, uh, environmental manipulation for the purpose of getting our fishes to be healthier, more colorful, not just to spawn, but of course, as spawning is part of the game. Now, I know the idea is nothing new on a macro level. We've been increasing and lowering water temps in our aquariums, adjusting lighting levels and tweaking environmental parameters to get fishes to spawn for generations. That's what hobbyists do. Killy keepers have played with this concept in drying and incubation periods and annual killifish eggs. That's some serious next level shit that's been done for a long time. Specific environmental manipulations for definitive results, i.e. controlled egg hatching, etc. However, I don't think we as a hobby have been doing a lot of real specific environmental manipulations like adjusting water levels, increasing nutrient loads, you know, like pulsing leaves and other botanicals, fostering biofilm growth, manipulating current, dissolved oxygen, food types, etc. for the express purpose of general husbandry and, of course, spawning being a collateral benefit of that in many types of fishes. I think that there's so many different things that we can play with and so many nuances that we can investigate and manipulate in our aquariums to influence fish health and spawning behavior. I think that this could even add a new nuance to a typical biotope aquarium, such as creating an aquarium which stimulates, simulates the, I don't know, the Preda da Iva River in Brazil in October or whatever, with appropriate environmental conditions such as water level, temperature, amount of olive bonus, material, etc. present. 
not just an aesthetic representation designed to mimic the look of the habitat, but a functionally aesthetic representation of a natural habitat intended to operate like one full time nuances, microhabitats, subtle steps. The possibilities are endless here. How do we start? Well, we make those mental shifts and accept the dark water, the accumulation of leaves and botanicals, the apparent randomness of their presence. We study the natural habitats from which they come, not just for the way they look, but for why they look that way and how the impacts of the surrounding environments influence them in multiple ways. There's a tremendous amount of academic material out there for those willing to deep dive into this and a tremendous amount to unravel and apply to our, you know, to our aquarium practices. We're literally just scratching the surface. We're making the shifts to accept the true randomness of nature as it is. We're establishing and nurturing the art of functional aesthetics. That's my real hope for the future of this. I hope that one day when some kid somewhere adds some catapa bark, banana stem pieces and seed pods to her wild beta tank, for example, and someone asks why, she'll respond with something like, because the materials mimic the allothonous inputs which occur in the wild habitats and provide foraging and humic substances which will manipulate the aquarium environment and encourage the development of biofilms and other organisms for their long-term health, of course. Now that's a mouthful and I doubt that some 11-year-old will respond exactly in those words, but I think that she'd suggest that the idea of using botanicals to do more than just create a pretty, pretty look in the aquarium is pretty important. My hope is that this mindset will percolate into the consciousness of the general aquarium hobby, not just for the good of everybody who plays with tropical fishes, not just for us obsessed weirdos. Perhaps one day, among the, the things that will indoctrinate neophyte aquarists to play with as fundamental skills, besides water exchanges, quarantine, and careful stocking, will be things like adding appropriate botanical materials to the aquarium to facilitate more natural conditions for the aquatic organisms that we keep. This is indeed what we mean when we talk about how we attend and operate at the Delta, the intersection of science and art, you're there because you're here. This is the mission that I believe we in the botanical style aquarium movement need to get behind. Study the natural, embrace the ephemeral, think of the possibilities. It starts with just observing and studying nature and then studying your aquarium and applying what you've learned. Just add leaves and open your mind. Amano himself, I think, would appreciate this. Stay studious. Stay curious, stay creative, stay diligent, stay consistent, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Ten and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.